0: The year was 1517, there's a young Augustinian monk, and he made a decision to break with tradition and take some actions that he knew would have a great impact on his own personal life. See, he didn't know the impact this decision would have on others in the future, but he knew that what he was doing would negatively impact him. So if you know me, you're like, ah, another history story from Ben, makes sense, yep. But anyway, you see, when this man was even younger, he was caught in a violent thunderstorm, and in desperation, he called out to God and he said, God, say, and save me, and I'll commit my life to the service of God. Save me and I will become a monk. And so the violence of nature and the power of the one who controlled nature was apparent to him at that moment. As we all sometimes like, we see the power of storms. I think especially here, you know, in Salt Lake, it's like. You know, you see that like lightning storm come across the valley. Anyway, this man was like, wow, God is powerful. And so after being saved and out of gratitude to God, he said, all right, I'll go and become a monk. And so while in his, uh, his service as a monk, this man pushed himself to the limit in following the rules. You I mean, he feared so much for his eternal soul that he really tortured himself uh, into... Uh, doing all of the necessary steps that he felt like he had to do. He spent hours confessing sins. Uh, It's just to make sure that he wouldn't miss anything. He had to get all the specific details. Later, he said this of himself. He said, I was a good monk, and I kept the rules of my order so strictly that I may say that if ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery, it was I. All my brothers in the monastery who knew me will bear me out. If I had kept on any longer, I should have killed myself with vigils, prayers, reading, and other work. See, this man was captivated by the fear of the Lord, but he's looking for relief in the wrong place. And so years go by and years of fastidious study to the Bible led him to the conclusion that his devotion to outward signs of following God was mistaken. And so instead he turned to the truth of the gospel and the truth that Christ alone is the one that saves and not just these outward signs. You see, he feared God rather than man. And later, despite what it would do to his prospects, his safety, and his reputation, this man, which some of you, I bet, uh, have realized by now, uh, Martin Luther, he valued the approval of God above man. He really gave us a great example of, like, following the fear of God rather than fearing others and what others' approval, what others' uh, esteem would do to you. And so Luther's big view of God far overshadowed his view of man. Um, And I, I mean, like, See, this isn't, this isn't an issue that's like a, like a modern issue. This has been a wrong for, for ages. I mean, you go back to the pages of the Bible and there's story after story as we'll go on in this course uh, of talking about how people feared man and their opinions rather than God because we're all in the danger of doing that. We maximize the fear of man by making them the center of our lives, um, which can paralyze us and cause us to elevate others' views to, to almost like a point of an idol. See, even in our like in our like therapeutic age that we live in today, you might hear here like uh, other other wordings uh, for the fear of uh, fear of man. Things like self-esteem or people-pleasing or codependency or maybe something else. Uh, but overall, so Ed Welch in his book "When People Are Big and God Is Small," which is a wicked good book, if you ever get a chance, um, I that I brought it, but it's somewhere else in this building. Um, but anyway, it, uh, it defines the fear of man. Ed Welch in here, he says, uh, fear of man is just replacing God with people. You see, whenever whatever we place on a pedestal like the opinions, beliefs, uh, values, esteem, or affection of others above the affection of God, we're essentially setting up an idol and sin- sinfully magnifying the fear of man. Well. Probably by the nature of this class, you're aware that might be an issue within you, and I think that it's an issue in danger that, I mean, really, like, is just almost near universal to all of humanity. Um, but here's some uh, here's some scenarios. So Ed Welch in his book kind of lays out a few scenarios that I thought were were really helpful for kind of uh, uh, looking at okay, what is the fear of man, and how is that on display in my own life? Um, so so the first one he writes as K, okay, have you ever struggled with peer pressure? Right, maybe you've heard that mentioned, I know I have, like I was, as I said, I was a teacher for like five years. That um, like, I've heard that in the context of school, peer pressure, right? But maybe there are other ways as an adult that we fear that. You know, maybe like in the way that we set up our resume. Um, I mean, when I was thinking about this, I came up with the idea, you know, that there's the recent uh, 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 recent representative in Congress, that essentially like lied about his resume to like get elected. You know that that is a side of the fear of man. Like ah, I gotta pretend that I'm this person that has gone and had these this work here and gone to this school in order to get elected. Well, that's the fear of man. Or maybe like you've uh, uh, you feared others looking at your uh, your family, um, having you know have a, uh, an idol of having a perfect family or a perfect house, um, or perfect body or the perfect hair. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> As Lucas knows, who has a folder of my poor hair pictures. Anyway, um, so uh, maybe another thing you could be seeing the fear of man manifest in your lives is are you overcommitted to things? Right? Do you have trouble saying no to people when asked? I know a lot that I've struggled with that at different points in my life. Or maybe even uh, in terms of your family, right? Do you need something from your spouse or do you need your spouse to listen to you or respect you? Now, I mean, I'm not married, but um, as a single guy, like in my early 30s, there are definitely times in my life where I've uh, like idolized or, or feared man in the way that people perceive me as, you know, a single guy in my 30s, married and without a spouse, right? I fear the idea also of, 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 of loneliness with that or wanting someone to take the place of, of, a, of, of something that really only God can fill. Maybe that's an issue in your life. Or maybe is self-esteem something that's critical to you? And we'll, we'll talk about self-esteem and how that plays out in the fear of man as we keep going on. Um, but this is a common theme for especially secular psychologists. Um, like, I know, especially in the schools, because I've been there. Right? Do you need others to think highly of you in order to fill you up and feel like you're satisfied? Or maybe uh, do you feel like you've been exposed, or you might be exposed as an imposter? Right? Being exposed as potential failure is a big like, exhibition of the fear of man in you. Or maybe you're second guessing decisions based on what other people might think. Are you fearful of making mistakes that make, make you look worse in other people's eyes? I mean, I think this is funny, you know, surveys suggest that most people would rather die than be exposed to public speaking. <laughs> That's a, one of those episodes of, yeah, like, fear of man, here you are. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Or maybe you feel just empty and meaningless or experiencing love hunger, needing other people to fill you up. Well, if you do need that, then you're probably controlled by those other people. Maybe you get easily embarrassed. That could be a sign that you overvalue people and their perceived opinions. Right? Or do you ever lie? Like even those little white ones, right? Even like, like little lies of omission to make yourself look better before others. Or you know, just do a little, little bump to your resume. That could be a sign of fear, man. I mean like you know, how many people have said, yeah, like, you know, you're, you're meeting someone of like, oh, yeah, I remember you. I met you on church last Sunday. I definitely remember you, but you really don't. Maybe that's a sign of the fear of man. That you don't want to be seen. Oh, yeah, like they forgot my name. I and mean, I've done that before. Or maybe like, okay, yeah, I've, I've seen that movie. I've seen that TV show before. Sure. I know that person. I read that book. I remember what Pastor Lucas said in his sermon last week. <laughs> yep. Okay, or maybe uh, you might be jealous of other people, or maybe even, do you avoid other people, right? That can be a sign of the fear of man if like you say you don't need people, but maybe you're controlled by them. I mean, like a hermit in the woods living by themselves, they're dominated by the fear of man. Even, uh, even most diets, right? Even if you're trying to like, oh, I'm trying to be healthy, or, or I'm trying to work out, right, to feel good. Well, that could be a sign, depending on what your motivation is, that you're fearing how other people perceive you or look at you. Or maybe even this, and this is one especially convicting to me, right? Have you ever been too timid to share your faith in Christ because others might think you might be an irrational fool? right? I know out loud that I should fear God and seek to please him above other people, but in my actions, I know I struggle with doing this and filling this out on a daily basis. I mean, even like when I was preparing this lesson, Right, I realized as I was like reading through and thinking about it. Right, I in myself, like you know, that thought creeps up. It's like, oh man, I hope people listening to this are like, you know, really like learn a lot from me, what I say here. Like, I hope that I do a good job and people like me and value me more because of what I'm saying. Right, man, like we are, we are sinful. So I think that's why this is a good, uh, this is a good course. Um, so uh, my prayer is that through this time, uh, over the next. Uh, we have this week and seven others. So you and I and, uh, and Zach, uh, that I'll introduce you to Zach. We might see the fear of God grow in our lives in such a degree that we want the fear of God that is so big in our lives that we're not about seeking ourselves and our own personal glory and reputation, but rather we seek the rewards of the eternal kingdom. You see, in Matthew 10, 28, when Jesus was calling his 12 disciples, He told them, as he's kind of sending them out to go and tell people, he said, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. He said, rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So we hope that through this time, God can grow you into a better understanding of his love. And so kind of with that, I'll give you kind of a brief outline of what we're doing uh, over the next few weeks. And uh, yeah, so first, I'll introduce you to Zach. Zach's back there. He's uh, one of our deacons at Gospel Grace. um, And we're going to be teaching together. My name is Ben Henderson. Um, and I'm a pastoral resident here. Um, and so, uh, I mean, I know that I'm a people pleaser. So this course has been good, like diving into uh, to a lot of the research has been good for me. And so kind of uh, I'm talking today for another 17 minutes about, about the, uh, the fear of man. And then, uh, and then next week, Zach's going to talk about how, uh, how the fear of more focusing on the fear of God. And then as we keep going, we're going to kind of look at how that, uh, how that plays out. In different spheres of our life uh, so these include things like evangelism sex work friendships and church and so uh, let's kind of look more about why we fear man um, and then look kind of how it's, what that says about about our hearts okay um, so what do we really fear when we're fearing people rather than God so uh, Ed Welsh again in his book when people are big and God is small he breaks it down into three different categories which we will kind of continue to look at as we as we keep going. Uh, and so first thing is that we fear exposure. So you fear exposure. We fear rejection. And we fear harm. So exposure, rejection, and harm. Those are the things. And so we'll take a brief look at each of those in turn. So first, exposure. So exposure is the fear that we have that someone will see us how we truly are. You know, we can fear the humiliation that may come when people look at us and see that, well, we're not exactly the people that we uh, perceive ourselves to be. We're not the people that we want ourselves to be. You know, like, uh, as I was looking at, as I kind of mentioned earlier, there's over, over 75% of people, according to a survey, have this fear of public speaking. 75%. So, yeah, yeah, makes sense, right? Those speaking if you're speaking in front of a large group, there's that additional fear of like, hey, like, if I'm up here, and I screw it up, well, not just like one person can see, but everyone can see. And so there's your exposed to potential humiliation. I mean, the fear of kind of shame and exposure, you can kind of even go back to, back to the garden, right? Right at the beginning, the original sin of humanity, right? After when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate from their tree, what, what was the first thing that they did, right? What did they do? They did what? Right, they hid, they covered themselves up, right? They had, they had, they had seen like, each other and they had seen the sin that was on display in themselves. And what they saw was was shameful now. You see, when they were when they were, when they before they had sinned, they could look upon the nakedness and exposure of the other and themselves, and since they hadn't sinned yet, it was fine. But when they had sinned, their dirtiness was apparent to both themselves and and to their, their counterpart. And so they, yeah, they covered up. They felt in compulsion to do that because they feared the look of the other person. I fear that exposure, right? Thoughts of like, okay, like what, what will they think of me or what will God think of me? And when you have that, like when you other people see what you, what you, who, who you truly are, that's, that's a fear, right? And so this kind of is connected to the idea of uh, a, a more modern concept called self-esteem, uh, considered by some to be like a, a core problem, a core issue of childhood. There's a thought out there in, uh, in the secular world that in order to be, uh, to be whole, we need to be kind of filled up by others and maybe complimented or affirmed in who we are in order, to, uh, in order to have any meaning of life. And so if I don't get affirmed in what I'm doing or who I am by other people, then that's what leads to mental instability and that's what leads to all sorts of different issues. And this is, the, this is a false narrative. It starts with a sincere problem, which is a low view of self but it mistakenly replaces that that low view of self with with an equally false thing. Like the, uh, the idea that comes out in a lot of uh, secular psychology is that if someone tells you that you aren't important, you need to kind of replace that with someone else who will tell you you are important. So like if this person thinks I thinks I suck, well I'll go and get someone who can affirm me and can tell me that I'm good at things. Or or like from a teacher's perspective that I, that I have is that like, you know, the idea is you want to constantly like affirm their, the kids and say, oh yes, like, yeah, maybe maybe Susie doesn't say you're cool, but like I think you're a great person, right? But that doesn't really solve solve the problem because like, I mean, when we look at ourselves, we realize that you know I'm not I'm not really that great, and so if I'm just like balancing on the opinions of others, I'll just go to someone that will lie to me and tell me that I'm better than I actually am. You see, um, that fails to base your value on anything other than what still is other people's opinions of you. And so when inevitably it's discovered that you're not good, and that's that's what the Bible says, that we're not naturally good, then what's left? If our opinion of ourselves is just based on how others perceive us, then we're just kind of like floating along on the oceans of life, just completely subject to the whims and waves of public opinion that are out there. You see, the Bible says though, if we don't base our value and esteem on how God sees us, then we are going to just float. I mean, like Pastor Lucas talked about it earlier today in his, in his sermon. He, he said that uh, the approval of the Father as it, came to, uh, as it came to Jesus during his baptism, like that's what gives us our value. And he, he said that if you're in Christ, the Father is just as pleased with you as he is Jesus. See, the Father's approval rests upon us in Christ. And if that if that's how we're filled up, then that's how we can feel satisfied because we have the approval of the Father and not just other people that just kind of goes. And I think that that's why like, one of the reasons why we're fascinated with certain TV shows. So I was listening to a podcast the other day and it, it was talking about how uh, uh, this is the, the 50th year since like the beginning of reality TV. One of the first reality TV shows was called the, An American Family in 1973, uh, which kind of introduced people to the life of like a regular American family. And I think that one of the reasons, one of the attractions of reality TV in general is that like, we kind of like to look at other people's lives and be like, whew, they caught them up like them, right? We want to compare ourselves, because like, we know if we're exposed, then it's like, ah, but other people, we can laugh at them and say, ha, like, look at them over there, and look how they're messing up. Makes us feel better about ourselves, because we're comparing ourselves to them, and makes us feel better. They're like, ah, am not as crazy as the Kardashians or whoever. <laughs> Ah. <laughs> yeah, I've seen them skiing. They're not very good. <laughs> anyway, anyway um, so uh, Paul writes in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 3 through 5. Uh, he says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Again, this is 1 Corinthians 4. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. You see, for Paul, it doesn't matter if he's judged by other people. I mean, he doesn't even base his judgment of himself on himself. You see, instead, he only cares what the Lord thinks. Right? He's not judging what other people think about him. He's not judging what he thinks about him. Instead, it's about what God thinks about him, which he knows, as we said is secure in Christ. Um, And Tim Keller puts it this way. He writes this in his book. It's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. It's a a small little one. Um, If you can get get your hands on a copy, I know that at some point they floated around church. um, And so I'd highly suggest that. It's the freedom of self-forgetfulness. Keller writes, if someone has a problem with low self-esteem, we in our modern world seem to have only one way of dealing with it. That is remedying it with high self-esteem. We tell someone that they need to see how wonderful they are. We tell them to look at all the great things they've accomplished. We tell them they just need to stop worrying about what people say about them. We tell them they need to set their own standards and accomplish them, and they make their own evaluation of themselves. You see, Paul does something completely different in 1 Corinthians 4. He says that he won't even judge himself. It's as if he says, and again, this is Keller, he says, I don't care what you think, but I don't care what I think. I have a very low opinion of your opinion of me, but I have a very low opinion of my opinion of me as well. And so for Paul, and hopefully for us, the only thing that matters is God and his opinion. See, while we can easily experience shame for our sin, we can also experience shame by being victimized by other people. Some have been victimized and can feel kind of exposed um, and shameful, not even for what they've, they've done themselves, what has been done to them. And there's a fear of exposure in that. And this can start a blame cycle where the victim blames themselves for actions they had no control over, especially the case for many who have suffered sexual harassment. See, what's the answer to the fear of exposure and humiliation? Well, the answer is the gospel. See, God clothed us in his righteousness. Again, as Lucas talked about earlier. So we don't need to fear humiliation by others and and shame by others. Isaiah 61.10 says that God has clothed me with the garments of salvation, that through Christ he has covered me with his robes of righteousness, which is what Christ accomplished for us. And that is our security. So again, we fear exposure. We also fear rejection. And so we fear, uh, we fear uh, yeah, rejection from others. We idolize people and their opinions by putting them on a level that they shouldn't. We fear that even if we, if we act biblically, maybe we'll miss out on some of the fun things in life. You know, we won't be invited to the right parties, the right things. Um, we fear that people might ignore us and will be left lonely, without friends. Maybe we fear that people won't like us or won't be pleased by us. Um, and and then it is especially true if, like, you have someone that you hold in very, very high regard—someone um, that is, yeah, someone that's considered, let me your boss, right? You want to be, you want to be pleasing to the boss. You want to be pleasing to, you know, the cool crowd, the people around you that are, you elevate to that high position that only should be held by God. Well, if that's the case, in rejection, that means that people control us. If we act a way that can only get us plaudits and, and affirmation uh, from, from other people, then that means that they're the people that, that do control us, since their opinions matter the most. If ever we feel like we need something from, uh, from others, then that something that we need becomes the controlling factor in our lives, and that something becomes an idol for us. See, that was the fear of the, of the Pharisees. Jesus confronted them in, uh, in John 12. Uh, you see, they valued kind of their, their exalted position in Jewish society above their, uh, above kind of what they had seen and what Jesus had done. You see, they saw what Jesus was doing. They saw the miracles that he had done. They, they, it says in John 12, 43, that, that they wanted to, uh, they feared like, okay, like if I go and listen to Jesus and I go that way, well, then the people are going to reject me and move me out of, the, out of the synagogue. and I'll kind of be ostracized there. And uh, it says in, yeah, in John twelve forty three that they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So when we fear earthly rejection, we're making those opinions of man into an idol and elevating our own pride. Um, and eventually that leads to the same thing that Israel experienced when they idolized things other than the Lord. So again, we fear exposure, we fear rejection, and we also feel harm. You know, physical harm, also uh, words as well uh, can, be, can be dangerous and can, can, can bite. Um, Proverbs 12:18 18 says rash words are like sword thrusts, and we fear kind of how people will respond to us even verbally. Uh, but we also fear, we also feel physical harm. And there's, there's a degree of, uh, of, of truth and things that are, that are okay about, about experiencing physical harm. But the Christian walk is radical, and like we might experience threats as, as Christians, and I think especially in the face of a world that increasingly kind of despises senses of, of Christian morality, I mean, I think we should anticipate those attacks on our character, and even on our person sometimes. So can anyone think of, a, what would be an example or of a character or someone in the Bible that, uh, uh, that, that suffered uh, fear of harm from others, and some very justified? Any ideas? Who would be someone? And there, there's lots, so. Stephen, great, yes. Yes, he faced that harm well. Great. Awesome. Yeah. Other ideas? Sorry? Pharisees. Pharisees. Yeah, great. Yeah, right? Pharisees did and they chose, in general, the wrong way. Right? They feared man. Peter. Right? That's an awesome one. We're going to dive deep into that. I mean, Peter's, I think, a great example because he, like, fears he fears man's opinions, but there are some moments where he's like, yes! Like, I'm all about God. Like, it doesn't matter. Right? Like, Christ your Lord. Then there's others where there's like, Little servant girl. Oh, I don't want to be associated with Jesus, right? That's perfect. Yes, Daniel. Um, John the Baptist. John the Baptist, how he feared man. I'm not sure of that one. Yeah. <clears throat> yes? Abraham and Isaac told them their yes, right? Like, and multiple times, right? Abraham, like, pretends his wife is his sister, and then, like, you know that. Doesn't work great, but then he does it again, right? He feared he feared other people and harm for his for his wife and for himself, rather than rather than others. Yeah, cool. And I was also thinking of uh, uh, um, like David is another one, right? And rightfully so, right? His, uh, uh, he feared when Saul was chasing him. Uh, I mean, he feared rightfully when his son Absalom was uh, uh, had a had a coup against him. Um, and I think like David's response is a good. Uh, good for us to look at, um, in, uh, in Psalm, Psalm 56, David had been seized by his enemies, the Philistines, and when he says this in Psalm 56, David cries out, he says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid, and what can flesh do to me? And so, um, yeah, I, I think like, uh, as, uh, as Welsh pushed it, usually the fear of man is a sinful exaggeration of a normal human experience that it's right, for, it's right for David to be afraid in those moments. You know, it's right for uh, uh, even, even Abraham being in a, in a foreign country to be afraid of certain things and we, it's okay for us to be afraid of uh, uh, to be afraid rightfully of, of harm in different situations. But the key with that fear is to put it in, in God above people. So, over, over the course of this, this, whole, uh, this whole time, um, I, I hope that uh, we are coming to the, the conclusion that God can be maximized and put on the front of your life so that when you face even justifiable fears of exposure, rejection, and harm, that God and his own power will be magnified as your own fears of, uh, of earthly things will be diminished. And so, uh, and so let's pray. Dear God, you are our only comfort, you are our only hope, you are our only refuge, you are our only stronghold in times of need. God, you uh, you are with us when others are against us for evil, and when others and their thoughts and opinions of, of, of uh, yeah, others' thoughts and opinions of, of ourself, God, when they take the fore, God, I pray that we would learn to cling to you, God. So let's take refuge in your wings, God, as we learn to fear you more than we fear other people. In Jesus' name, amen.